on episode 12 of the InsureTech Geek podcast, talking about clarity with auto claims with Ernie Bray from Auto Claims Direct. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives with our own R&D team into technology that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. Happy day, happy day, happy day. I hope all of you guys out there in listener land are enjoying yourselves, that you've been geeking out on insurance tech since our last episode. I know that was a really exciting one. We got to really, really dive deep and get geeky uh, on on insure tech, and that this week will be absolutely no exception. From beautiful San Diego, California, we have Ernie Bray, CEO of Auto Claims Direct. Ernie, how are you doing? Doing great, James. Thanks for having me on. Man, we are fired up to have you on here. And you and I share a common set of passions. We're passionate about technology. We're passionate about insurance. We're passionate about entrepreneurship. And we're both bootstrapped entrepreneurs, which makes us complete weirdos. That's right, man. Hey, we did it all from on our own. Yeah, it's like started from, you know that that rap, started from the bottom, now we're here. Started <laughs> from the bottom, now a whole team here. I always like think of that song whenever I think about bootstrap because, you know, the 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 MO in business school now, it just makes me ill is get an idea, go to a pitch competition, go to Angel Networks, raise money, do your, you know, Angel Round, Series A, Series B, Series C dilute the crap out of yourself, lose all control, and then exit before you have to prove you can make money on the company. Doesn't that seem to be the MO these days? I mean, I see a lot of companies do it that way. And I've told, I've told people before, you know, hey, to each their own. If they want to do it that way, hey, all power to them. But from day one, I've kind of had that mindset that, you know, I want to build something to last. I want to build something long term. And so, hey, you know what? That's what I did. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting way. There's a lot of ways to run and start a business. And it doesn't mean that the VC way, the angel funding VC growth equity, you know, five rounds is, ba- is inherently bad because there's a lot of really good companies that come out of that process. But it also can be super challenging. So we're going to talk about that today after we talk about insurance tech, because you and I both landed in different segments of this massive business, primarily focusing on claims, uh, which is, you know, I started over in uh, property claims, you started in auto claims, I ended up heavily in work comp and property, and you've really stuck in this beautiful niche of anything that has wheels on it. That's right. I mean, uh, when I, my whole thing started out, I Got out of college. I played college basketball. Didn't know what I wanted to do. And next thing you know, I'm ending up in insurance. And uh, you know, I had that entrepreneurial mindset at heart. And uh, you know, I worked for some a couple major carriers for a few years, and and kind of learned a lot. Once I started to got my niche, and like you said, there's just this industry for entrepreneurs out there. Those with good ideas and those you know people with a perceptive view. There's opportunity, tons of opportunity, and and there's so many different niches out there. You, you could take op, you know, take uh, take action on. So, were you born and raised in Southern California? Well, I was in Central California. I came from a town called Porterville, which is uh, in between Fresno and Bakersfield. So, actually, kind of out in the country, really. Oh, it is. In fact, the the movie that 
was it Kevin Costner was in it? Uh, oh, McFarland, Dennis, the one about was, the runners. Yeah. Was that Kevin Costner? Yeah, was that was Costner that was in McFarland? That's not. Yeah. That's not all too far from from where you where you grew up, is it? And not at all. And I know McFarland really well. Yeah, I used to play in summer league basketball games down there. It's like 105 degrees outside, but we go in the gyms in those summer days. And yeah, that's right out there in the Central Valley. Yeah, man, that phenomenal movie, by the way, out there. Uh, Listeners, if you haven't seen McFarland, you should. It's it's a it's a great story and a true story about a really awesome coach yep. that just kept winning in track with the unlikeliest of resources. You know, he really didn't have any, and he figured it out. And it was just a just a great story. So you you left there, you went to Cal Lutheran, then you went to UC Santa Cruz, and uh, you played you played college basketball, and uh, I'm sure that was exciting. And then what did you think you were going to go into career wise with a sociology degree and what did you end up and going into and how did you wound up wind up in insurance well going back to yeah same when i said i played college basketball so i played division two II, division three basketball and during that time i would work summer camps for magic johnson he had a uh camp for kids. I would be a you know camp counselor on a lot of college players would do that in the summer. That's one of the jobs we used to do in the summer. So I'd work at his camps. I'd work at for Stanford's camps and and doing those things. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my parents were kind of like, hey, you know, why don't you become a teacher? I didn't, you know, I come from a family of teachers. My dad taught for 30, 40, almost 40 years. And my aunt, my uncle, grandparents, all everybody's a teacher. So that was my mentality. So I just sort of got a sociology degree. Didn't know what I wanted to do. But then once I graduated, I needed to find something. So I kind of found myself working in insurance. I got a job as an adjuster. Wow. And that's a great place to learn the insurance business, isn't it? Well, you know, hey, once you, once you start, when I started out, I mean, I look back and started out in like 96 or something like that. It was really antiquated back then. I mean, we're talking, it was so paper centric and, but you learned everything. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of hands-on training that went on. I don't think that maybe it's going on these days. You had to be pretty versatile. So I pretty much learned it from the ground up. Man, that's awesome. I learned it as well from sitting with a lot of claims adjusters and uh, looking at how they were handling data. And of course, a lot of the time, I remember the, the very first InsurTech gig I got was at a personal and commercial lines property inspection company that was working for the, you know, the, the big major property companies out there for, for personal and commercial lines uh, doing inspections. And so we had the handle getting the order, taking that order, producing the inspection, and then sending it back which sounds simple at the end of the day when you really look at how much data collection and structured data is involved is not. Uh, back in the day, which was a Wednesday, you know, they printed it out and mailed the inspection in, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was only 18 years ago. I mean, I'm telling you, there was clients, you know, I'll tell you when we started our company, there were people that were still saying, hey, if you, you want to get things done, you got to send it in by FedEx. Why don't you collect all the paperwork and just mail it in once a week? Oh, no. Yeah. See how far we've really come in this industry. Yeah, we got a lot to do here. Uh, it's, I mean... It's a big deal to digitize an industry, especially an industry that really, at the end of the day, the the end work product of insurance for uh, the thousands of years that insurance has existed since the early Babylonian contracts was paper, right? I mean, the the end product was paper. And then if the paper was uh, utilized, a claim was filed, then more paper was generated and then a payment was generated, right? I mean, that's that's this industry. And so you you've been there through... And that's what's so interesting about your time frame, the commercialization of the internet, the advent of the personal computer, the computer, the placing of computers at everybody's desktops. And, you know, in the early 2000s, when you started your business, seeing companies actually say, hey, maybe we don't need to print out a sheet for every single claim and have it clipped next to their monitor. 
which was a big deal back in the mid, early and mid 2000s. Oh, you bet. I mean, there was a time we were using Polaroid photographs, 35 millimeter photographs. Like you said, nothing was pretty much digitized. Carriers were even against using email. I mean, there was carriers that wouldn't even touch email. So to really come where we've had in this industry, it's amazing. It's really, a true, it's really crazy. What do you think is going on right now, though? Because there's more discussion about predictive analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, drones, computer vision, self-driving everything. Like the, the level of discussion has just exploded in the last few years. It, it, it's, it, it wasn't linear, right? It's like the water kept piling up behind the dam and eventually the dam broke. I think in some ways what's happened is for so long, the industry had been be i think behind the times they were so slow to adapt technology with all these new things going on like you said it's like it's like a dam ready to break there's so many exciting things that carriers can utilize now like you said drones and that's really i mean we can't use that in the auto side but i mean the property side seeing that happen and seeing how all these technologies are out there if i was a carrier carriers have so many opportunities now to really scale their their operations faster at a level they never could yeah and want to expand the lines they write, the states they write. TPAs have the same opportunity, right? It's uh, if they can add that business faster, then they can make a lot more money, or you know, mitigate risk better, or you know, what, what whatever it is that their major corporate objective is. It allows them to get there a lot faster. And and this has been historically claims. And you started as an adjuster. Tell me the progression from when you were a claims adjuster to now in claim volume that they can handle. Like, has there really, has all of this technology, all of this money, all of this work really, at the end of the day, allowed an adjuster to do more work or have a higher output per adjuster? If a company really tr tries to use the technology, they can be very optimized. They can really make it happen. The key is really, there are so many tasks in the auto claims process that can be automated or you can actually reduce many of the touch points because it's a pretty linear process. I mean, when you think about it, person gets in an accident, they have to file a claim, the adjuster has to do the investigation, but the ultimate outcome is either the vehicle has to be repaired or it can be repaired if it's repairable, or it's going to be determined to be a total loss and it's going to be sent to a salvage yard and they will have a payout and they will move on. So you're going to have two routes it's really going to go. And the ultimate way you got to get it there is fastest customers want it done fast they want but they want it done accurate and the key is you also have to have empathy too because even with the technology out there i mean remember like when you said when i was starting out i think i got a really good handle because at the time i worked at a a local uh, branch office where people would come in they would sit down at your desk and literally explain to you what happened and they would have a little you know matchbox car and they would show you hey i was backing out of this parking lot and the person came by and, uh, you know, and am I at fault? And you'd have to make those determinations sometimes right there with somebody sitting you in a little branch office. And that interaction with people was really important to me. I think it was good because it really gave me the training of how to how, understanding what people are going through. But that was a very hands-on process. Every, like I said, we we're talking about very paper-centric. Everything was like there. Now, in our day and age, a lot of these things can be handled quickly and efficient, you know, efficiently through automation. But you have to do it the right way. You have to find out what tasks can you automate that can speed the process without losing that human element. What about, I'm hearing a lot of folks, and we've been talking a lot about this a lot too, auto adjudication. The ability, because you said almost like it was a, re, a prerequisite, the claims adjuster, of course, they have to conduct an investigation. But there's, a, there's, there's a, a school of thought now that for a certain swath 
of claims that come in that no one really needs to conduct an investigation, that using public data sources and information on the claim and effective questionnaires and Q&A session through automated chat, that you can actually sniff out the vast majority of claim fraud and auto-adjudicate payments. Where where are you at on claim auto-adjudication and the implications of that? Okay, so basically what you're saying is we we're talking about those are, there's a siloed types of claims. They're very easy, very, you know, single losses, minor damage, claims that really don't need a lot of interaction. You can funnel those claims utilizing the vast, like you said, first notice of loss information that asks a certain series of questions. You can funnel those claims right down a path and literally almost eliminate many touch points, which obviously will make that customer happier because if they know it's minor and they can either take the photographs themselves, you can run the claim through some computer vision, you can automate, you know, put in algorithms to determine whether the estimate amount is a certain level, whether it needs to be audited. And with technologies, yes, you can do that. And you can actually get the outliers out, the small ones out, move them on faster. And basically what you want to do is you want to take adjusters today and let them do what they do best. Let them adjust the claims that need more hands-on processing and eliminate the easy ones. And yeah, that's exactly where the industry is going. It's going to be more of a touchless type of process. And that's why process and the workflow is really, really important. And we're seeing that happen in homeowner personal lines, residential policies, where a whole swath of claims now by some of the more progressive carriers out there, some of the more tech centric carriers out there are auto adjudicating claims and saying, Hey, look, a third of these, we never need to touch, ask the right questions, get the right answers, request the information and approve the payment and we can get this done in minutes and no one has to touch it. Exactly. And then it leaves our adjusters open to really think about and manage potential cat claims. Of course, you're always worried about cat claims, right? <laughs> like you want to oh, yeah. you want to make sure that you've captured that you set the reserve properly and that you uh that you're you're keeping an eye on things that could make it a cat claim, right? Why auto? Like why didn't you continue to expand and go after a multi and be a multi-line claims handling software? Why just beeline in on auto and only do that? Well, we could have gone out and done that, but my whole goal was to stay very laser focused. I wanted to be good at what we do and really find that niche in there and, and go after it. So when I started the company, what I saw was an opportunity in a lot of the overflow and outsource portion of the business. So our specialty, a lot of carriers um, these days are trying to offload a lot of their workforce. I mean, they, if they can handle claims in-house that they can handle, there's still a lot of areas where they have to use outsource vendors. And so my whole focus was to focus on that one area that we cover commercial auto and personal auto that covers all that overflow. And that small niche is actually very large. So if I figured, you know what, we can master that one area and make this whole process seamless and almost work as an extension of a, a carrier's claims department, that would be a good place to be. And that's what we've done. There are people that I have been to conferences with, uh, sat in meetings with that are postulating that there's going to be a time at which auto insurance is irrelevant because people won't be driving anymore. Tell me your thoughts around this concept and really where the insurance is going to move to, because obviously there has to be insurance because bad things will continue to happen and there will need to be risk covered. So is it does this just mean that we're going to move from having auto insurance to having product liability insurance for the self-driving car manufacturers? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I've heard a lot of that myself. That's where, will the manufacturer take on the responsibility? Will they just basically insure the vehicle? 
who knows? I mean, I, the self-driving cars, that's really interesting. I've seen a lot. There was a lot of hype, you know, about it for years, you know, ahead of time here that it was going to be, I've heard stories that it was going to be gone by the year 2020. We'd be already losing, you know, claims would disappear. And as we all know, you know, this takes time. It takes time. It'll get there eventually. I think over time, obviously, this, this technology will continue to advance. But you, like you said, I think it will probably be more, more of a product liability issue because then now you have so many different factors involved. You get that human factor removed and then who's going to be responsible for the losses? Is the machine make a mistake? Is there something going on with the technology? So, I mean, I still, I mean, right now, typically speaking, the average fleet out there on the market are, you know, is about 10, 11 years old. So for the turnover of cars and you have new cars coming on with more technology out there, you know, more driver-assisted tools. I mean, it's still going to be a while before you see the majority of these cars self-driving or even fully autonomous type, you know, area. So there's still going to be claims, but I mean, it's going to be very interesting, like you said, to see where the liability starts to go. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not just Tesla. Uh, I, I got to test drive. One of my friends who's CT, CIO of a fairly large insurance carrier called me and he bought a Hyundai Palisade. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you have to go drive this car. It's like a Tesla, but at like a fraction of the price. And it's amazing. And I went and drove it. And I got to tell you, it is the nicest midsize SUV I have been, you know, BMW X7, the Mercedes, uh-huh. I mean, you know, the Porsche. I mean, you, you go in all these luxury SUVs. Hyundai just wiped the floor with these guys, with the Palisade. And its self-driving tech was so spot on. I took it up on the highway. Uh, now, now you can't do the lane change like Tesla and, it, you know, it's not tied to your nav system, but its ability to maintain a lane, its ability to maintain distance and slow down, stop, restart, drive again is a game changer as a driver. But, you know, I think the real answer for me lies in the aviation business. I've been a pilot for, for years now and, you know, my plane's got a really phenomenal autopilot. It does. I mean, really, I take off and as soon as I'm off the ground, I push two buttons Autopilot takes over and it handles most of the navigation, right? Climb, level off, you know, change in direction, cruise, descent. I mean, it, it can bring the the airplane to a few hundred feet from the ground and then I take over and just finish it off. It, it's really an, an impressive system, but legally speaking, first off, premiums didn't go down. Secondly, I'm still liable for the operations of the airplane while the autopilot's operating. Uh, it it does not alleviate me of liability. So I think we can look to the aviation business and say, you know what, we're probably still going to have auto insurance. GM had predicted that we'd have fully self-driving cars in the GM fleet by 2018, and we're standing here at 2020. So people are going to miss their deadlines too, right? I know, definitely. I mean, I think realistically, you're going to get you know, 10, 10, 15 more years before you see you know a huge change. But yeah. I think that the real challenge is going to be when you start to see that dynamic of more autonomous cars with still self, you know, you're going to have that computer versus human and you're going to have a, even more confusion out there potentially. Yeah, they, the Peter Diamandis and Ray Kurzweil, I go to their conference Abundance 360 every couple of years. They, they predicted that by 2026, car ownership is dead. And I'm like, maybe in big urban areas, right? But not in College Station, Texas. The people, you know, Get rid of their car with their dead cold hands. It's just not. And out here in California, you go out any time on the freeway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's not exactly. There's a human element to that that is not necessarily going to play along with fully taking that the excitement away because driving is many times very exciting, which is why it's it's entertainment for some. So all of this talk around automation, robotics, 
computer vision, self-driving vehicles really doesn't impact the reality that today there's tens of millions of cars on the road that have to be insured in America every day and they got to drive around and stuff happens to them. So you've got a laser focus on that particular effort. Where have you gone with it and, and what's the next big exciting thing for you? I think for us, it's really, for us personally as a company, is really going into insurance companies and, and really TPAs and bringing this technology that we've built into their process because we're both a technology and a services company. Technology, you know, tech-enabled services, but there's so much opportunity out there with, I guess, insurers and TPAs who are still very, believe it or not, very paper-centric. I mean, guys like us who love the technology and, and we're following these things, we sometimes, I assume, people are already and companies are already utilizing solutions to be more efficient. And what's shocking to me is still there's so much opportunity out there uh, where companies are doing things in a way that they're just, I mean, it's, it's shocking. They're on the phone all the time. They're, they're, they're not even using the tools that could help make them better. So for us, growth in areas where we can really help customers and bring new technologies into the place, such as the computer vision different types of algorithms, things that can actually add good day-to-day -day value for a customer. So we're always trying new different things and say, okay, let's bring in some computer vision, but where can we apply it so we can actually get some real functionality out of it, not just do it for the sake of just doing it? Where can we actually really get some results? Or how about this? Let's do some if-then statements. Make it look like the software is smart and say we have AI. <laughs> hey, you know something? That's the one thing out there. I think there's a lot of hype out there and everybody gets caught up in that. But I think the key though, is you got to say, hey, what's realistic and what's going to, you know, at the end of the day, what is an adjuster going to be able to use and make their job more efficient? It sounds nice, but they want to close the claim faster. That customer wants to get back on the road and a customer doesn't care if there's AI built in. They just want their credit right. Yeah. And, and machine learning is the common subset of AI people are using for this. Where do you think machine learning and other specific forms of AI have their home in insurance, in particular in commercial and personal auto claims? Is it automated reserve setting? Is it automated adjudication for small claims? I think there's a lot of opportunity. I love talking about this kind of stuff. This is There's so much opportunity. I think in the area of, for adjusters, you know, just even the recorded statements that are taken, when you're taking statements from a vehicle owner or recording this information, I mean, still a lot of times adjusters are taking little recorded statements. So there's so much, I think, unstructured data that's being collected by carriers on their end. They could be feeding this data. If they do it in a structured way, they could actually be helping build tools that can help basically make potentially liability decisions. I mean, if you start to understand somebody's backing out of a, of a spot, somebody's speeding by, well, you know, you, you have the duty and care to make sure that you're looking around while you're backing up. You could start to weigh and maybe even put some, um, you know, some rules in to basically decide, okay, well, this leans toward the idea that this person's at fault. Or you can take information out of a statement to help investigate the claim. And I mean, I think the real end goal in this whole claims process is really to have the adjuster, this, the technology is to augment the intelligence of the adjuster. I mean, if you can start to build these tools in and bring information to the adjuster so its decisions are being made and they're just basically using their intelligence to solve it, that's where it's really going to head. That's what's exciting out there. Yeah, we had a guest on InsureTech Geek, uh, Stan Smith with Gradient AI, and they're taking diary entries and claim notes and mm -hmm. reading the free text, teaching the machine how to read it. And they're using it to identify contributing factors that contribute to claim loss increases. 
and then notifying the adjusters through their claim software that, hey, you got a potential uh, outlier here, right? You've got a potential cat claim that you're reserving a thousand bucks for. And uh, here's why. That's the type of intelligence, I think, whether Stan and his company will be able to be as pervasive as they want to be. Obviously, that's up to the market, right? I mean, up to the market on how, how fast they adopt that kind of technology and specifically his solution. Uh, but he's not the only one tackling uh, machine learning. Uh, we've seen companies like Predictive Solutions try and tackle safety data and figure out if they have the ability to, in safety data, predict the likelihood of a safety incident on a job, right? By reading free text reports and looking for context and something pretty important that social networks do all the time with machine learning, they look for sentiment analysis. Is this person happy, sad, angry? Mm-hmm. What, what emotions are they having? You know, and the emotional state of a claimant's really important too. So that that's that's pretty interesting to me. Oh, definitely. What else really geeks you out on auto? Is is telematics really high on your list and integrating with fleet telematics? So when you have a claim, you can integrate all the telematics data into your claim file. Most definitely, because then with with telematics information, you can further help make decisions on the route of claims should go. I mean, if you're no, if you know how much, I mean, I'm, with the, here's the thing, with the cars that are out there, with the data that's in there, there's going to be a time when these vehicles pretty much will almost self-estimate. I mean, I can see, I mean, I saw, I wrote about an article, gosh, it was about four years ago. I saw some, um, something from BAE Systems, I think it was, was they have like a smart skin on airplanes. Have you ever, you ever heard about that? A smart skin that yep. can actually detect. I mean, think about that. If you had little micro sensors built in all the panels of the car, you know, and if you use collision repair rules, you could say, well, you know, the two thirds of this panel is already, you know, dented. Therefore, you know, that needs to be replaced. It'll eventually cars will probably self-estimate themselves to a point or at least have a beginning repair course of what needs to be done. Hey, this needs to be replaced. This should be repaired. And you'll start to have the, the, the symbiotic relationship with the car telling you what needs to be done. Then you using the human or you know, other technology to kind of make sure that happens. But that, that's the really, I get excited about that. I excited, you know, the, the photo computer vision is nice uh, because you can get and start to really, I would say, triage files to the right method of inspection or the right process. But when you start to have cars uh, and telematics data and information on the, the parts of the car start to give you feedback, that's really going to be fun. What's the coolest thing that your software does in production right now? Coolest thing we do. God, we're talking claim. <laughs> I think the coolest thing that we do, which is cool for clients, is taking the information we're provided and giving them the right path of where a claim should go based on our information and our data. Because a lot of times adjusters aren't given or they don't necessarily provide us with the right information or where they think it should go. And we're finding the best path. Whether let's say, for example, they provide a claim, well, you know what? That vehicle owner wants it done fast, quickly, and accurately. Well, we're determining the right method of inspection to ultimately get that done faster, you know, for their customers. So the speed and what we do that, I think it's cool because that helps that adjuster out. Yeah, big time, right? Yeah. Speed matters. As long as you can maintain quality, you want the adjuster bill to get their job done faster. Well, people want things done. I mean, we're in a, in a society, you know, hey, you want that, you get your Amazon order, you want that uh, prime delivery or you want it done, you want to know what's going on. And I think anything in today's day and age, communication's key. Our platform provides a ton of communication. And I, I mean, when people don't know what's going on and they have those moments of uncertainty, that's when customer satisfaction drops. That's when people are upset. So keeping people in a transparent process, hence our play, clarity. 
Give them clarity. Right. Oh, let's keep. Where do we go next? Let's keep. Let's keep diving down the rabbit hole because you you have a lab, ACD Labs. What can you say you're working on in labs that's going to come out to the market that you're you're comfortable talking about? Well, I think most of our focus really is is back into enhancing computer vision and our ability to make better decisions. So our kind of think tank and labs team is really kind of pushing ways to obviously make the process even faster for a carrier. And I mean, like I said, it's a simple process. I mean, I think a lot of times in insurance, it seems like a simple process. You know, you get a car, your car gets in an accident, you need to get it fixed and you just want it done. You want to get back on with your life. But I don't think a lot of times people don't realize the components that go on in the claims process or things that can be, you know, cause hiccups. So for us, I mean, I'm, I'm myself, I'm a really process oriented person. I get, that's my passion. I, I go in there and I try to say, you know what, what can I do to peel away needless steps? And for me, when we talk about what we can do in our labs is how can I go into a client and just drive their efficiency? So when I sit down with them, I'm like, okay. And I think that the flexibility of our technology allows us to do that for a customer. So passion for me is really to go down with the customer and sit down and say, hey, you know what, what's your sticking points? And everything we're working on in our uh, process is about speed, efficiency, and removing touch points. I asked my R&D team, my developers, to be architects of pain. You know, like find the pain, uh, sorry, archaeologists of pain and then architects of solutions. <clears throat> you know, be the archaeologist that digs for the pain point because there's, there's so many times in technology we have these shiny objects that people build I'll give you an example of a shiny object in auto that I saw two years ago at a certain insurance technology conference. A, a, a couple, three different exhibitors were marketing chat bots for commercial auto claims. And I went and checked it out. I'm like, all right, because I've, you know, we've built actual chat bots that can interpret free text and, you know, interpret context and sentiment and tell if you're happy or sad, you know, like legitimately using machine learning. All three of these that were on display two, it was two years ago, were literally the stuff I built when I was 13 through an anti-text terminal back in like 93, 92, <laughs> where I was asking a question and asking them to pick one through five, you know, answer one, you know, one is this, two is this, three is this, one. I mean, it was like, dear God, you thought I wanted to chat with my application, which by the way, we used to do in GW Basic, Pascal, and Fortran and assembly, you thought I wanted to chat with my application through text and you just took my entire process and, and made it twice as long. But now it's a chat stream instead of just clicking on the options on the screen and, and hitting submit. You know, th then we started seeing like real, like legitimate chat bots come out that actually solve a pain point because they text you at the end of the day and they say, hey, what happened today? And you can just, you know, write back in free text and it parses it and puts it all in and that's legitimate, right? That's like a really, that's a le solving a legitimate pain point. But there's so many times in our labs groups, because we have JBK labs and we have our, that we, we end up kind of, you know, chasing shiny objects. And I think as an industry in insurance, we get distracted probably a little too much now because there's so much new tech coming out. There's a lot of shiny objects. Chatbots was one of the shiny objects and it's it started, fortunately, the legitimate ones have come out, the illegitimate ones have faded away. Telematics was really hot and, and now it's kind of pervasive. I mean, I have OnStar on my Chevy Silverado and it reads all the detail of all the things going on in my truck and then sends me a report and then asks me if it wants me to schedule service work on the truck. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. holy crap, like that's real right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, 
Yeah. And, and that's going to come. Uh, are you are you uh, on that note? Are you think you're going to end up being a telematics provider? Like, are you going to get into like full no, fl- fleet management I, I telematics? I, that's, that's not really. Yeah. And that's not really on our path right now. No, no. I mean, I, I think really we're just, I guess it's staying focused really just in that in that spot we are where we really master the, the claims process. Yeah. yeah. What about policies? Nope. That, that, that's more of a policy admin system. No, we, we partner with a lot of companies to do that, though. We yeah. partner with a lot of claim systems and, uh, you know, that for the adjusting side. So we plug our platform in and have, you know, that's the thing today. I mean, that's when you look at technology out there. One of the key things out there is really is good partnerships, being able to partner, integrate, have good API and, and focus on partnerships these days. That's another key thing we're doing. Do you allow anybody that has a security key to are you kind of an open API guy? Yeah, well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a believer, really. So we don't, we can't do everything. So when we have, we can work with salvage providers. We can work with claims, you know, policy admin systems. So really, our flexibility really comes around when I said when we sit with the client is like, you know, they're using different technologies, and I think, you know, being able to be flexible these days is going to be really the key for a lot of software and tech companies out there. Because sometimes carriers have such unique workflows that, you know, the flexibility is is one of the things that's going to be very important to be viable out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I've seen kind of a bifurcation, I like that word, by the way, bifurcation of the insure tech market where you have a bunch of tech providers that legitimately getting an API from them is like a five minute process. <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, of course you have to have an account so you can have an access key to it, right? Like you, yep. like let's say one of your clients uh, wants you to integrate with this particular provider, you, you know, they do, they contact the provider. They say, Hey, give them a, give them access to the API so you can connect to us. Uh, with our product that we had, uh, smart bid that we ran for 12 years, we had an API that you literally would just go to api.smartbid.co and that was it. Like it was, and then as long as you had an account, you could get the access key and then you could read and write to the application. We let anybody um, as long as they had the appropriate authentication credentials. And, and that's, that's not what I run into in insurance a lot. A lot of times you have some really high-walled gardens where either they don't have an API and they're still using some very antiquated forms of integration, uh, you know, like flat, delimited, <laughs> fixed-width oh. files going to secure FTP sites or some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if they do have an API, they force you to give up a percentage of your revenue and a fixed annual fee and join their partner program to literally do a single method call on an API, which makes me want to drill my eyeballs out, right? So yeah. where, where do you stand on the topic of integrations? Well, a lot of times in our, in our portion of the business, with us doing the auto and commercial physical damage claims process, there's providers, though, that are needed like the salvage providers. There's a multitude of salvage providers. You have total loss providers to determine total loss valuation. And everybody seems to play pretty well together in this process. Good. Because, and, and, which I like. And I think really the key is you got to look, I mean, even your competitors in some aspects can be partners in some degree. And that's why our whole thing with our Clarity platform is to really be, allow, have a lot more platform partners and seeing that, because we can't solve every, we can't solve every portion of the claims process because we we do a certain niche process, but there's companies that can add value to us. We can add value to them. And there's like, partnerships is where I think it's really going to be. And that's, and that's the key, playing well together with the other companies. Awesome. Let's change gears. You are also an entrepreneur. You're not just a technologist. You're not just an insured tech enthusiast. Uh, on, you, know, you are an entrepreneur. And you wrote a book called The Entrepreneur's Field Manual. What was the, the impetus behind that? What got you motivated to write a, a field manual for entrepreneurs? Well, 
it kind of sort of started as a side fun project. I mean, I'm a very intense person when it comes to business. I mean, I'm, you know, I love the technology, like you said, hey, insure tech, insurance, but there's obviously more to it. I mean, as you know, as well, <laughs> you're running your own company. Uh, there's more involved. You learn so much. You, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with employees, you're dealing with payroll, you're dealing with um, budgeting as, as like as bootstrapped entrepreneurs, we have to budget. You can't think you don't have just millions of dollars being thrown in to, uh, to do that. You have to, you have to think efficiently. So for me, I enjoy inspiring others and I made a point to just sort of document sort of my journey, things I learned along the way. And I just basically had like these tips. I had like a hundred tips. I just started writing down, you know, hey, here's another tip, things I learned. And and then over time, I just decided to say, you know what, I want to put this into a sort of a book where that if I could help some other entrepreneur out there and they get one or two tips that make sense to them and I'm sort of giving back in a way, but at the same time, you know, putting my knowledge because everybody has their own spin. You're going to have your, obviously your own ver- version of your success that you had because you went through your own trials and tribulations. So I think, you know, just getting out there and it's it was sort of a fun project. I like to do that. I like to write on the side. I like to write articles. I like to uh, do that. So that was sort of my the genesis of that. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and obviously being willing to try and bring others up. I'm, I'm part of Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and uh, we do a ton of sharing in EO. I mean, just a lot of sharing. Uh, you have a, you know, I have a forum of eight other software CEOs and we meet, we meet every month. That's great. I mean, because when you can bounce ideas off each other, that's really key because so many people, like I said, like I said before, it's, they have different skills, different knowledge in different areas, and we can all give each other advice. And I think keeping those entrepreneurial groups together like that's really key. Have you ever joined a peer group before? I have before. I've done, I've done some just informal kind of stuff with fellow entrepreneurs around here in San Diego, where we get together, have lunch, talk, and and do things and just and even just quick phone calls too. Hey, how's things going with you? What's what some of your challenges? And we sort of vent to each other and, and you know, and, and you, you get little ideas here and there. And I think that's the key. You sort of have a, a group where you can kind of, you know, lean back on. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been huge for me. I've been, I've been an EO for four years and having a structured format to share that information and expectation of confidentiality and the ability to tap into a broader EO network of 15,000 CEOs was really a cool deal. Added a lot of value for me and, and uh, certainly changed my mind on a whole bunch of things. It was exciting. Well, Ernie, any last thoughts on uh, insurance, insure tech, or business? Wow, gosh. Yeah, just as a side note, as an entrepreneur, I'll give this to people. If you're an entrepreneur out there, even in the insurance industry, you know what? Hey, it sometimes could be stressful. You're out there if you have your adjuster, claims, insure tech, business owner, entrepreneur, whatever you are, you can't neglect your health. That's one thing. Building a company for 17 years like this, that's one thing that I've always really maintained is focusing on, you know, eating good exercise and taking care of your health because you know what you can get stuck so much and so focused that you could neglect other parts of your life and that's one thing i think has been one of my exciting drivers is that uh, i find more energy when i go out and do things so never neglect your health take care of yourself because you know what at the end of the day that's what matters and uh heck can help even drive your success even more when you're doing well Absolutely. Absolutely. It can. I know I, I went and ran a 5k on Saturday and had a blast and it, awesome. it, it's when I do my best thinking. And uh, it's also when I run is when I do uh, most of my audiobook listening. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it really, it, it just, you know, I'm so alert, you know, reading in the evening, late in the evening doesn't work for me. It's like a, it's like chloroform. Well, Hey, <laughs> I know. Hey, one thing I do do every day is I, I, I walk at least uh, in, in just, you know, walk about 40, 45 minutes a day. 
And that's where I get on my phone and I have my earbuds in. I'll talk to you. I'll make some business calls, but I'm getting exercise at the same time. So yeah. you can always try to find a way to get it in. Yeah. Some of the best business meetings that we have, uh, I'll, if I doing a one-on-one, I'll grab somebody and we'll just go for a walk around a few blocks. And, and, uh, it's, it's just amazing how much it, uh, it improves exactly. the level of conversation. So it's good to, to hear about that. If you want more information about him, it's erniebray.com. That's E-R-N-I-E-B-R-A-Y.com. If you want more information about ACD, that's acdcorp.com and their uh, new platform. I love your slogan here. The only thing we improved was everything. <laughs> that is so badass. That's awesome. Yeah, I love the brand uh, Clarity. Uh, you know, Hopefully it does give clarity, right? That's the that's, exactly. That's, that's, Transparency and, yeah. uh, you know, right through there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. So that's again at acdcorp.com. If you're a big fan of the band, you'll, you'll actually read this differently. It'll be ACDC Orp. I happen to really enjoy ACDC on, on, a, on an irrational level. So, <laughs> so hey, man, I, hey, I've been learning guitar. Hey, my brother, my brother plays guitar. He got me, uh, hooked on uh, learning. So I've been doing it for about a year and a half. And, uh, had no musical background at all. So it's frustrating, but you know what? I just stay at it, have fun. I'm playing some of the old eighties music, trying to like, you know, some like you said, easy, easy. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on guitar myself. I, I played piano my entire childhood until I was 18 was a competitive pianist and, and loved it. And, still play every once in a while not 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 often enough good and, for the brain though good good to practice new things like that all the time though oh it is it is that that's what flying was for me ernie you know i, I went out a few years ago and said you know what i've always loved flying uh i need to finally knock out my license and went and got what my are you pri- fly, what are you flying right now i've got okay. a i've got a piper seneca five it's a twin engine six-seater and uh you know it goes 235 miles an hour twenty-five thousand feet and it, it's uh It'll it'll get me around the country real nicely. It takes me about six hours to get to San Diego. I got to stop in Deming, New Mexico. Wow! And uh, I can get to Deming, and then I can get to San Diego. So three hours and three hours, or you know, the the, the great. Hey, did you see that? You, you know, in top, you know, Top Gun Mavericks coming out this summer with uh, oh, Tom Cruise. I know. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 doesn't he doesn't he fly like um P fifty one? Does he own one? I think it is. I saw him flying one. Yeah, yeah, him. yeah. And P fifty ones are kind of a. Uh, a big dream for a lot of pilots because they're crazy fast, but they're very expensive Oof. to own and operate. Uh, well, I mean, hell, all, all airplanes are. I mean, it's 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 not a uh, it's not a hobby for the faint of heart in any way, shape, or form. But uh, you know, flying really challenged me mentally, physically, emotionally. It was the hardest tests I had in my life. Getting my instrument rating was exhausting. I sweat through all my clothes, and I mean, wow. how many tests can you recount from college? I did undergrad and grad school. How many tests can you recount from those days where you walked out and it was a three and a half hour test and you were soaked from all your sweat? Oh my gosh, I can't imagine that, man. That's crazy. And that's what my instrument rating was. My multi-engine rating wasn't much better. It was exhausting and scary. And, you know, I nailed that. I passed all three of, you know, the three big ones I had to pass, private, single, private, multi, and, and instrument. I passed them on the first try, but it you know it involved an enormous amount of studying. Completely stretched my brain. I, I can't look at the sky now without analyzing the weather. And um, it, you know, it just opens your brain up, new room in your brain up. And music, of course, does the same thing. So I'm excited to hear you, you uh, jumping in a guitar, man. Uh, well, it, next time, it. next time I'm in San Diego, we'll have to go uh, do a little jamming. I'll do a little singing. You'll do a guitar. Bet. Let me know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, uh, I appreciate you joining us today, and uh, and thanks for, for thanks for coming on the InsureTech Geek Podcast. Hey, well, hey, thanks for having me on. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is about all about technology. It's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. 
Uh, that thanks to Big Daddy Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Karen Daltaro, our creative producer, and thank you for joining us today. Look forward to talking to you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.